Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, this is Pod Therapy. Real people, real problems, and real therapists. If you have any questions you'd like to ask or advice you'd like to give, come on over to podtherapy.net and join the conversation. We have a new Therapod. It happens to be Jim's mom. We can confirm she is a listener. (laughs) It will be a different show from here on out, folks. And now, broadcasting from the churn, that guy is Dr. Jim Joven. I'm Nick Tangeman. It's time for some pot therapy. So, Nick, I was reading the Bible this morning. (laughs) Bullshit. Um, (laughs) I was reading the Bible, doing my taxes early, and... um, <clears throat> just doing all the right things, you know. That's I love that's how, what I do. I love how from from here on out, you're just going to just completely ignore everything else that you've said on <laughs> like the podcast it's never happened. for the last 48 episodes. <laughs> you should have seen it. And now you're just going to. Be... I I went as white as a ghost when I saw because like we get a little message that says, "Hey, this person just became a Patreon." It comes to our email, and I see it, and I see Tracy Replogle. I'm like, "Oh God, that's my mom." Like, <laughs> I'm done. Like, that's the end of this. She's going through the Patreon, just, you know, what, what, what? Like, so, uh, so that's it. There's, I, I just started having these, like, Vietnam flashbacks of the book club, chapter three, where I just, 20 minutes of profanity. But, like, yeah. here we go. This is it. So she called me on my birthday, and I was like, uh, hi, mom. You know, and she's like, hey, birthday, no, no, no. And, uh, and then she was like, so I've been listening to the show. Yeah, <laughs> I have some thoughts. <laughs> But I'm not going to talk oh, to you I'm, about them I'm, right I'm now. Losing I'm losing you. I'm losing you. Hold on. I'm driving through a tunnel. Yep. So welcome to the uh, brand new pod therapy format in which, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to be very polite, very appropriate now. No, I just, you know, she's she's listening. So, hi, Mom. <laughs> I'm excited to have you as a listener. Uh, and uh, expect nice reviews, please. But, yeah, I have to, like, guard all the... Oh, and she also joined Twitter just because... She knows we have a very active I Twitter. I thought so, yeah, yeah, because I saw that yeah. she started following Her us. Twitter name is literally Jim's mom. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Jim's... <laughs> like, it that's it. It it's absolutely Jim's is. Jim's mom. At Jim's mom. <laughs> and I was like, God, here we go. <laughs> like, everything I do now. <laughs> My Twitter's a dangerous landscape, too. <laughs> so I'm pretty nervous. Yeah. But this it's also, uh, we did my birthday yesterday. We did karaoke. We did. The great feat was accomplished, Nick, and you got up there and you killed. You slayed. It was standing ovation. It was absolutely amazing. Thank uh, you. A serenade of Justin Bieber's uh, Love Yourself, and it was glorious. You, you were liberally changing the lyrics to a lot more aggressive profanity version of the song, but as you've noted, 
that was the original. So well right. done. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I have to admit, it was the most fun I've had against my will. <laughs> well, then you, sir, have not been to Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> I will show you how much fun you can have. <laughs> Hi, Mom. So anyway. It was a fun time. We had a good time. No, it was. It was a lot of fun. And we did, as promised, take videos. There's a video of uh, that song on there. There's also a video of Build Me Up Buttercup a duet that Nick and I did in front of our audience uh, on stage. So that was a lot of fun with choreographed dancing uh, without the choreography part. And it was good. It was a lot of fun. So those videos are up on Patreon. If you are not yet a Patreon, um, this is where your dollar goes a really for, long for, way. For, for, for a buck. little as a dollar. <laughs> for a buck. That's not a bad And I'll deal. tell you what I would do. <laughs> I would become a, a Patreon. Yeah. And then I would cancel it next month. Yeah. <laughs> Just get in there and get these videos. If you if you decide to do that, I won't even be no, upset. There's going to be a totally whole bunch understand. of all the sudden yeah, members and gonna... they just disappeared. Like, oh, what happened to all those guys? They're just looking loose. They just popped in to grab the dirt, <laughs> download that into a Senate database in case these guys ever run for office, and we're good. Yep. But a lot of fun. And thank you for all the birthday wishes on Twitter and Facebook and everybody that was just uh, showing love. Thank you, guys. Um, I, I don't know if you noticed anything different about me, Nick, but, uh, you know, there's I'm 3% more attractive, technically. I am 3% more attractive right now. Can you notice it? I'm, I'm one year older. Yeah, I can 3%. see. Yeah, a little bit. Yep, yep, yeah. a little bit. Yep, 3%. Not, not, not 5%. No, 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 it's definitely not, not 5. Not 5%, but it's, it's definitely not even 4. Yeah, no, no, but right there, 3%. Right. So if I had some kind of cool Tinder profile or something, uh, people would be noticing right now. As soon as that little <laughs> number goes up a notch, they'd go, oh, I don't know what it is about this guy, but... He seems slightly less repulsive. <laughs> That's all I'm going for. <laughs> That's all I need. That's the only feedback I want. Jim's 3% better. So. Those are some good goals. Yep. So we've got some cool stuff to burn through today. Uh, we've got uh, lots of good stuff. We've got a follow-up question today, uh, which we love getting, or follow-up uh, note anyway, some feedback about something that went down. So this one says, hey, Jim, Nick, and Laura. Laura what? got thrown in the mix. I'm flattered that my letter was a topic of the show and also discussed in the Afterthoughts podcast, which is on our Patreon. Very cool. I thought you might appreciate a follow-up email. Yes, we do. To recap, my son is recently out of rehab for meth and cocaine. He currently has less than 100 days sober. He and I met his aunt and uncle in Las Vegas for the week over Thanksgiving. I spoke to them and told them that since my son was so recently out of rehab, I wouldn't be drinking while we're up there. I didn't ask them to do anything. I just told them what I was going to do. They responded that that was their plan as well. We all had a wonderful time in Vegas, no alcohol for the entire week. The only issue we ran into was walking around Vegas. The smell of weed is everywhere, <laughs> but not much I can do about that. Yeah. I just told my son that he wasn't allowed to breathe anytime we were outside <laughs> and that obviously a skunk had died nearby. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he believed that. <laughs> uh, he, he flew back to Tennessee to live with his aunt and uncle, go to school and start fresh out there. I'm still very guarded, but cautiously optimistic for him. Thanks for the advice. Data scoop. That's awesome, awesome. man. Yeah, That's I was, great. Uh, I was wondering how that was going to turn out. So Yeah. Um, and th this, is, uh, this is one of those situations, I think, that sometimes uh, when we're not communicating with, you know, how, we're, uh, uh, how we feel or right. how we're going to deal with situations where we just – we assume things are going to be more difficult than they really are. Right. And we kind of gave him that advice. Well, hey, just, you know, just set that precedent. Just say, hey, this yeah. is what I'm not planning on drinking and all that. 
And it sounds like everybody was on the same page. Yeah. So the thing that uh, that David really kind of got uh, kind of worked up about and kind of had some anxiety about yeah. was something that everybody was already kind of planning on doing that. And anyway. that's the thing I think we all need to remember is that if you're trying to, you know, love somebody who's in recovery or if you're starting to step into recovery for yourself and you're, you're giving up drinking, you're trying to, you know, live differently, there's a lot of fear of the social aspect. And, like, how is it going to go down? Will I, you know, be the same person at parties? Will I, you know, am I going to be able to enjoy Thanksgiving or holidays? And I love the story because we said, hey, come into this with intention. Like, you, you definitely want to take this seriously. And he did. He, mm-hmm. he contacted his family. He said, hey, FYI, I'm choosing not to drink. I'm just getting you guys uh, some advance notice. Um, and they all said, no, we're on board. And, like, that's our plan anyway. If you hadn't called, that's what we were going to do because we're aware of this guy's health condition and we just don't care. Why, why drink? You know, it's just – and it's like we talked about that day when we are talking about this answer. We were talking about, like, if somebody was allergic to peanuts, like, would you serve peanuts? Because you just must have peanuts. Like, no. Like, you just consider it and you'd change the menu. And I think we can do the same thing with people that, you know, aren't drinking right now or whatever. It doesn't matter that much. You know, most mm-hmm. people are willing to let it go. So mm-hmm. it sounds like they were, which is awesome. And uh, one thing, though, Nick, I wanted to uh, – he didn't ask a question about this, but I think we can give some feedback on. Um, it's interesting because the, the, the son is now relocating to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to live with his aunt and his uncle. He's getting into school out there. He's doing some work out there. And it sounds like there is a desire to sort of fresh start that. And um, it's interesting because in the past, you and I have talked about geographic uh, cures, right? Right. Where you try to run from the problem by just moving. You know, so, oh, I have a drug addiction. What am I going to do? I'm just going to move. And I, in this case, though, I think that this – I wouldn't call this geographic cure – I'd call this part of the treatment plan because the kid did a hundred, like 90 days in a rehab. So there is treatment, you know, and there is work being done. And they are strategically addressing not returning to the environment that was bad for you. You know, somebody dimensioned six that and said this is not a good idea. And they came up with an alternative plan with their treatment team that ultimately sounds like he got a fresh start. Give us some feedback on that because I know that's something that you've thought about. Yeah, and I think uh, I would agree with you. I wouldn't necessarily I, – I, for me, I think that when we talk about a geographical cure mm-hmm. – <clears throat> excuse me. I think uh, I think intent has a lot to do with that. Yeah. If you are saying that I'm going to uh, – I, I'm gonna I'm gonna move across country, and that's gonna be the thing that gets me clean, or that's gonna be the thing that keeps me sober is moving. Mm-hmm. I would say that's a geographical cure. That's probably not gonna work. Right. However, if moving is part of the plan, and the person understands that this is only one piece of it, I'm moving because it'll be a fresh start for me. I'm moving so that uh, I, I have put some distance between me and my old playgrounds and playmates. Mm-hmm. And on top of moving, I'm also going to be working some kind of a program. I'm going right. to be doing some some self-work. Yes. I'm going to be doing some therapy. I'm going to be doing all these other things. That is healthy. Yeah. And that's a really good idea. Yeah. I, I'm in full support of that. The only thing that, again, like I think it's it becomes a problem when people just expect that that's all they have to do. Mm. I just move and then that's it. Problem yeah. solved. Yeah. No, it's not going to happen because you're taking the problem with you. Yeah, you got <laughs> it inside. Yeah, yeah it's not it's... that, oh, they don't have drugs in this other place. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, they do. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lab somewhere in Antarctica where somebody's, you know, still got alcohol in the freezer. So it's a thing. And, and I, I agree with that. I think you're right. And I like you made a note there that I want to really highlight for the listener. Um, if 
you're going to a new location and that new location, we have a plan. There is, we're not ending our work um, and just hoping for the best. There is a continuation of the care continuum. And then that's so appropriate. And it's the right level of care. It's not gonna be the same stuff. You hopefully are stepping down, you know, in level of intensity, but that's a, that's not geographic cure. That's geographic consideration Mm -hmm. as part of the treatment plan. Right. Absolutely. Now it's great news. And, uh, some more feedback for David. Um, you know, he kind of ends this, you know, saying I'm, I'm still very guarded Mm. and cautiously optimistic. Yeah. That's a healthy spot to be in. That's where I want I, you. I, yeah, I think yep. that's perfectly fine. And there are going to be setbacks. Yes. It, it's uh, not to say that he's going to relapse, but there's going to be challenges. This this isn't, you know, this is a difficult thing that he's doing. Yes. It's very complicated. Once You know, if you're dealing with an addiction, you're in recovery. It's a lot of work. And yeah. there's going to be setbacks. Anticipate that. Just be there as a support. Yeah. And this is, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because this is a tricky thing. So in clinical circles and with families, Nick and I will probably reveal to them relapse is probably still likely, right? We never treat somebody and think this is it. We put the final nail into their, you know, their stage here. They'll never change. It's it, we got it. It's not like that. You know, we're we're always aware that relapse could happen and we do want to protect families so they can be thoughtful about how to address it. Um and I know it's devastating no matter what. But I also want to make sure that families don't overreact, you know, to the place where, uh, like, if if a relapse happens, they lose all hope and, you know, they're not being supportive of recovery anymore because they think it doesn't work. And that's not helpful, right? I I want you to expect that this can happen, and I want you to have a plan in place for what you do quickly to sort of address that, to move quickly back into treatment, you know, increase the level of care. Um, I don't feel comfortable telling um, people in recovery to expect relapse, right? Because I'm planting a thought that I don't want to do. Well, that uh, but with you families, don't, you don't want it to become an excuse either. Yeah, they go. Well, Jim like, said it could happen. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah so like, oh, that. this is just part of it. Yeah, this is part of it's being, part of my process. Yeah. And um, I'll deal with them when they do it. You know, and like then we'll sit down and talk about, hey, don't don't own shame, right? Because that's mm-hmm. not going to help. Let's only use helpful thoughts and let's get active again. You know, get after it. That kind of right. thing. So, but yeah, that's awesome news. Uh, congratulations, Data. That's that's tremendous. And uh, you know, just stay cautiously optimistic. Stay you know guarded, and I think keep the eyesight clear. Do not let that person uh, just get back into some kind of like you know uh, hidden life where they can kind of do what they want and they're afforded all this trust and, and given back the keys to the world. No, don't do that. You know, let's let's very carefully meter out. Uh, what kinds of things they're going to have access to. And uh, they have to earn back that trust, I think, for themselves, too. It's also just about their own safety. So yeah. great work. And thank you for the follow-up. Yeah, I we love, love follow-up. Yeah, I love hearing how things turn out. Thank you very much. Okay, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we are going to answer a question about a new job and new anxiety. You're listening to Pod Therapy. This week's Theraproducer sponsor is Gray Whitaker, who is also the majority shareholder, emperor of the boardroom, after a very furious coup in which he upped his Theraproducer uh, pledge on Patreon to $26.66. The big boss. The big boss. So now he's, and diabolical, I'll add, because he got the 666 in there, which I'm sure was no accident. So, Gray, we love you. Thank you so much for being so supportive of the show. And for all of you, if you'd like to join the party and help us make the show possible and tap into the special content for patrons only, which now includes embarrassing videos of us doing karaoke, you can go to patreon.com slash therapy and sign up. Again, that's patreon.com slash 
therapy. We're back, and our next question is about starting a new job and that initial anxiety. Okay, so this one starts off. Salt pork. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Salt pork. That's not us, but thank you. I've recently started a new job as an executive assistant to the president of a growing company. Oh, cool. I I have been an administrative assistant at a similar facility for the past four years, and I'm very excited to advance my career. Hmm. I know that I have the skills and the willpower to perform the new job well, but a lot of responsibility is suddenly being handed to me. I've only been there a few weeks and it seems, or I'm sorry, I've only been there a week and it seems that I will be helping to run a small company that is quietly or this quickly expanding. Hmm. There are new skills to learn and a lot of organization to be done. But again, I know that I will be able to handle it in the back of my mind. The rest of my brain is screaming in fear. <laughs> I feel like I have a, have I feel like I'm having minor anxiety attacks throughout the day, including cold sweats and losing mm. my appetite. Mm. I was hoping you guys could give me some advice on how to manage my newfound anxiety. Even though I can logically work through my emotions, my body is still reaching in all these uncomfortable ways. Or I'm sorry, reacting in all these uncomfortable ways, and I feel very stressed. Mm. I have thought about medication, but everyone I've talked to says that the medication can make them feel fuzzy or cloudy at least until they find the right one. I really want all of my faculties for the coming weeks and not experiment with this kind of thing. Also, I appreciate my anxiety to a certain extent because I feel it helps motivate me to take action and work through it. I am just not a fan of it going overboard lately despite my best efforts. Thank you guys and keep up the great work. Eric. Man, I resonate with that so much. Oh my gosh. I feel like, That's another one of those that I feel like I could have written. Um, so in regular listeners of the show know that I've already identified, I have generalized anxiety disorder. And so I have tried medicines in the past. I have utilized those. I've also utilized other, you know, uh, toolkits and tried to make it work in different ways. And I know Nick, one of the things he said that I really appreciated was, and this is something that people with anxiety will sometimes tell you is there's a part of us that doesn't want to address it. There's a part of us that doesn't want, if you could like push a button on my forehead and just make it go away, I'm a little fearful to do that. Because it also has assisted me at times, like being hyper vigilant, I've caught things and, and solved a problem. And when you're starting a new job and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to live up to this tremendous responsibility, that hyper vigilance, that, that increased awareness, it, it just it, it, it's something almost empowering about it to an extent because you almost feel like, okay, this will keep me alive. Like this will help me do and, and be what I need to be to solve this. And to an extent in my career, that's, that's been true of me. You know, when we started the rehab, mm-hmm. I was elevated to a big boss position over a multi-state company, had to figure out how to run it. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that on day one I was equal to the task. And so I felt like what this person feels like, like, holy crap, I hope nobody finds out that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. Or, you know, I feel like I'm running a whole company that, you know, maybe that's too much for any one person to wield. So I identify with Eric's question, but also Eric's feeling of like, okay, but if I take medicine to deal with some of this, Will that make me fuzzy? Will, it, will I lose a step? There's that fear of that. And then there's also that sense of, okay, maybe right now I like need my anxiety. Like maybe it's actually helping. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Eric, I just want to identify that I, I feel how you feel. I know that feeling. And I, I want to point out as well, though, that your anxiety is crossing into that nether region of unhelpful, right? And so I want to make sure you're, you're acknowledging that. Because in your question, you describe it as cold sweats. It is causing you to lose a step. And so I want to, you know, open that door to treatment options. 
So, and, and Nick, I want to get your feedback on this, but I'll, I'll, I'll finish this initial comment with this point. With medicine, um, a lot of people I talk to, a lot of patients I work with, uh, they'll, they'll bring this up and they'll say, you know, I don't want to do any medicine because somebody I know didn't like it or I heard something on the internet or whatever. And I'm, I'm usually the person that's like, hey, can we allow science to tell us what this medicine does? You know, can we look up the side effects and can we think this carefully? And when we're talking about an antidepressant, we're talking about like a low-dose SSRI, that is among the most gentle medicines in psychiatry that you can take. And so like a, a sertraline, a Zoloft, that kind of thing, a Prozac, those are very, very gentle. And for some people, it might cause them to feel a little foggy. Um, there are some known side effects. There's, But I don't think that that should stop us from approaching all solutions. I want to be open-minded to anything that might help. And so with the care of your doctor and, and hopefully, you know, the full support of your therapist that I hope's in your life, that would be something I would invite you to consider without that fearfulness that you might be foggy. Um, in my case, when I took sertraline, uh, yeah, I felt a little bit foggy. I would take it at night and it would quickly put me to bed. Like I just felt like the wind come out of my sails and I, would, I, I felt it initially. Most people don't feel anything. Most people don't feel anything, and then about two weeks in, the therapeutic level of sertraline would hit to the point when it takes the edges off. And so all, like, an SSRI is going to do is you think about, like, a line graph of, like, depression or anxiety with the peaks and the valleys. It makes those peaks a few notches lower, and it brings those valleys a few notches up. That's kind of it. <laughs> You're still going to feel, like, that tension. You're still going to feel these feelings. You're just going to take the edge off of them so that they're not quite as scary. Right. And I, I mean, I'm looking at this, I always look at this from the perspective of an addiction specialist, you know, right. because that's been my background for the last 15 years. Um, but in one of the things that is very common for anxiety is benzodiazepines, which do have a potential for abuse. But right. realistically, if you've never had any history of substance abuse, it's unlikely that you would then just pick it up. You're probably going right. to be okay with that. As far as medications in general, I'm always for behavioral interventions yeah. first. Yeah. And then if behavioral interventions aren't working, it's a cost benefit analysis, just like yeah. anything else where you kind of have to look at the cost of having, uh, you know, lost productivity at work because of the anxiety. Yes. The benefit of using the medication and then the, the cost benefit analysis of the medication, you know, what, what may be those side effects. Absolutely. Um, you know, weighing those out and, you know, you can always try it. And if it, if it's not working, just as long as I think the big thing, the big message that I always tell people is just communicate with your doctor. Just, yes. you know, be very open and honest with, with the symptoms that you're experiencing. Maybe even journal some of them. So you remember to Which, bring them up. I'm glad you said that. You should absolutely be doing that, Eric. You know, mm -hmm. like even if it's just a phone memo or you're texting yourself, I hope that you're noting during the day what your trigger is, what happened, what your automatic thought is, what your cognitive distortion is. And if those words I just said don't make any sense to you, that means it's time for you to go get some therapy because you have some training to do, my friend. That is how I've addressed anxiety. For me, the permanent answer was never medicine. The permanent answer for me uh, was cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's generally the course of treatment that I want to see people do. Um, but also, Nick, I want to echo some of what you said and, and kind of reaffirm that. So benzodiazepines are things like clonopin, Xanax. They are better for dealing with acute anxiety. So if you're feeling a very strong panic attack right now, like you're crossing the threshold out of like 6 out of 10, it's coming up to 7 out of 10, it's coming to 8 out of 10, that's where I want to see a benzo because I think that that's an acute treatment option right there. It deals with it in the moment. 
I don't think it's the right approach for chronic anxiety. I don't think it's a long-term strategy. To me, it's kind of like an opiate. It's a really good treatment approach for acute pain. It's not a good idea for chronic pain, right? And that's where I want to see something like an SSRI, which I think is better for a more balanced long-term approach. I think it's the right choice. Plus, it doesn't have an addictive potential, and it doesn't have an inebriating potential, whereas a benzo does. And, 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 but the third thing I wanted to point out here was, and this is something I think is unusual just to us anxiety people. <laughs> so you know how we talk on the show like we get anxiety about anxiety? Mm-hmm. We also get anxiety about our anxiety medication. Hmm, right. <laughs> so like that's a problem like sometimes we're like i don't want to take it because what if something happens it's like okay but now i have anxiety about my medicine <laughs> like that might take away my anxiety right yeah. now this might actually be a good opportunity to kind of talk about the difference between anxiety and mm-hmm. an anxiety disorder sure yeah because this is something that i think a lot of our listeners end up kind of getting confused yeah and I, th- I think most americans kind of get confused so Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The example that I always like to use is, uh, have I talked about this on the show? I don't know. About no. the lion in the African wilderness? Yes. I have yeah. talked about it on the show. Yeah. That when you yeah. see the lion. Yeah. The symptoms that you are experiencing right. are the same symptoms that you would have with. To survive. Anxiety. Yeah. yeah. So all the only difference between anxiety and an anxiety disorder mm-hmm. isn't actually the symptoms, but it's. The cause. Yeah. Is there a specific cause for the anxiety? If if I'm in a life-threatening situation I'm, and I'm having uh, sweats and I'm very alert and my muscles are tense and I'm shaking and my breathing mm-hmm. and my heart and all this stuff, well, that's normal. I should right. have those symptoms. Right. It's when I have those symptoms in an environment or a situation in which there is no actual threat. Yes. That's an anxiety disorder, right? Yeah. So – I guess I would kind of throw it back and kind of look at now he's in this Eric is in this situation because he just started this new job. Right. He's got these new circumstances. Yeah. He's got all of these new pressures. I mean, it may be possible that this isn't really an anxiety disorder necessarily. Right. That's this a good is, point. This is the reaction that you get when you're thrown into that situation. So I guess before we would run into the medication thing, like yeah. like Jim said, I think this would be a good time to use some behavioral interventions, some strategies to just help you cope with anxiety. Absolutely. That's um, a really good note. A few things that I would um, – I'm going I'm to throw out some ideas and maybe you can too, Jim, if you have any. I, I guess first one thing that I would look into is – Look at preventative measures. Mm. What are you doing outside of work? Mm-hmm. You know, and taking a look at how you can improve uh, your your life, improving your sleep, improving your diet, having some kind of exercise. I, I I'm a big believer that taking care of all of those things outside of the stressful environment right. is going to help you cope once you get into that stressful environment. Yeah, I like that. Pre-gaming, you know, right. in that positive sense of the yeah. word, you know, preparing for it in the locker room for your day. Um, and so two notes on that. So, Eric, first off, Nick's right. Um, we have to give ourselves permission to face change in mood whenever change in environment is occurring or I'm going through a unique challenge in my life, right? To me, I'm going to diagnose an anxiety disorder whenever I'm seeing it disproportionate 
your your level of fear and and what you're experiencing is disproportionate to the reality you're facing. When I see it as disruptive, um, this is getting in the way. It's interfering. It's causing that magic phrase of a clinically significant amount of distress. Mm-hmm. And I need to see it long term. I need to see it probably for. I want to see it probably. I think three months is is our initial threshold, um, unless it's something acute. So we are paying attention to that. Now, the good news is this. If it's not an anxiety disorder, if it's just a history of stress and anxiety and whatever, and it doesn't meet that, that label threshold, it's irrelevant in a sense because our treatment is the same. Anybody's allowed to use these techniques to improve their life. You know, They right, don't have exactly. to wait until it's out of control. And so Nick's absolutely right. Another thing I would add is this. So in the treatment of anxiety, I usually try to teach people to measure their thoughts. I want them to carefully be noticing what is their trigger? Because an event usually triggers the anxiety. And it could be anything. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It could be a good thing. It could be your boss saying, hey, you're doing such a great job around here, Eric. I don't know how we'd live without you. And then, like that's a compliment. But like your anxiety will hear that and go, oh, my God, they're going to give me more work. Or, oh, no, I, I'm vital. They don't realize I'm faking it or whatever. You know, like something can happen. So there's always a trigger. And then there's always an automatic thought. And the automatic thought can be like an emotion. It could be uh, an idea. It could be words. It could be an image. For me, part of the anxiety I have, and and one day we're going to do a deep dive into my anxiety, and I'll use myself as a case study to help people, but um, that is is not today. (laughs) But uh, uh, an automatic thought is any of those things that happen. And if you believe that automatic thought, that negative emotion, or that negative way of feeling or interpretation of the world, you enter into what we call a cognitive distortion. Now, a cognitive distortion is a mental mirage. It's a false interpretation of the world around you. And there's like a list of really common ones that a lot of people do. And in my treatment approach with people, I usually reveal that list to them. I try to help them identify which ones they may be guilty of doing. And then we work on five strategies that I usually employ to try to bring that person out of that mental mirage, how they can question their reality and find the truth, right? And so you're doing some of that right now, Eric. You talked about being able to logically uh, take care of business, but your body is not uh, cooperating. I would challenge you. I don't think it's a body thing so much. I think it's what Nick talked about, your body responding to the impression that it's in danger. And so you're having this uh, sympathetic nervous system response to protect you from a lion that isn't there. And so that comes back to you, you, you somehow believe something that's not true, that there is a lion or that there is something in your world that threatens you. And that's why you're having that physical response. And so the thing that I want you to start doing without exposing you to all the techniques we do, because we don't have time for that today, I want you to at least question carefully, what am I feeling? Where did it come from? Okay, what what is it I think about the world right now? What is it I think about myself? And here's the easiest question I want you to ask. Is there any evidence for that? Just ask that. Just do the math in your mind. Where's all the evidence that says how I'm feeling is a fact, and where's all the evidence that says this feeling is not a fact? Do that for me, and I think, Eric, you're going to notice that you're going to start feeling your body change just in reaction to that mental shift. No medicine necessary. So, you know, I'm, I'm for chemistry. I think it can help. I think it can be part of the solution. But um, if we're not doing the thinking approach first, then I want to see how, how we respond to that before we start going in new directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's um, some good advice. Try that out. Give it a shot. Uh, let us know. And uh, I think we should do that, Jim. I think we should do a deep, do a deep dive, dive into yeah. that. I think that'd be very helpful. So yeah. keep listening. We, we will uh, get into a deeper discussion into that. Now is probably a good time, too, to say to our listeners, if you have not yet listened to Fan Theory World, you should. Yeah. Good show. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, so, Eric, I appreciate the, uh, the letter, but I do have to say that you are wrong about Rocky. 
Oh. <laughs> Rocky 3 was not better than Rocky 4. Oh, oh, shots fired. Okay. Yeah. I want to do a Fan Theory World episode uh, about Peppa Pig, which is this children's... Uh, neither of you guys have kids, so you're both like, what the hell are you talking about? It's a children's book about a British pig family, and it became a cartoon on Nick Jr., and we watch it religiously, but it has these subtle, like, adult jokes that are in there, and, like... If you're a parent and you've been forced to watch this, you're creating a whiteboard conspiracy theory in your mind of what their universe is like and, like, the dark secrets that the people in the little British town have. And I have this whole theory that I want to unpack about this because I'm telling you it's there. So All right. look for that. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for writing in, brother. Appreciate you. I agree. Peppa Pig is better than Rocky Three. <laughs> that was the takeaway. That was the takeaway. <laughs> I only listen to bits of this show. Yeah. <laughs> Jacob comes in right when we need him with the real – Real good summary thought of what just happened. <laughs> just want to chime in here, guys. Definitely agree with that pig thing. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Thanks for writing it. Okay, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about a son who thinks he's the best at everything. You're listening to Pod Therapy. All right. This week's second therapy producer is Ben Don. Dr. Don. Thank you very much for your contribution. Um, I actually contacted Ben this morning and said, hey, dude, uh, we need your commercial. And he's like, I'm too sick. So uh, he's been doing a lot of traveling and was too sick to do his commercial. Feel better. So I'm going to do his commercial for him. Oh, okay. But I didn't plan anything out. Nice. So you and Ben are (laughs) the same guy. (laughs) You both contribute zero (laughs) to this segment. (laughs) This is exactly the same quality that we were getting from SickBet. But I know he's putting something together. He keeps kind of teasing it. I hope it's like a PowerPoint of pictures. He doesn't have it together yet. So we're going to check back with him the end of December when his his show comes due again. But uh, thank you, Ben, for your contribution. We definitely appreciate it. And thanks for helping us keeping the show going. Yep, and if you'd like to join Ben in doing nothing <laughs> but contributing to the show, you can go to patreon.com slash therapy and join the party. Okay, we're back. You're listening to Pod Therapy. Our next listener writes in about a son who believes he's best at everything. All right, this one's really funny. My son constantly thinks he is the best at everything. This is from your dad. I, I, I your thought mom my mom listens, wrote it. But no, oh, okay. <laughs> It's not, but okay. it's from a male, but I thought, man, my mom could have written this. My son constantly thinks he's the best at everything. I am not exaggerating that statement. He seems to think that he has mastered the game and is the best player on the team. In reality, he's playing hard, but isn't very good. This is just one example. This occurs with almost everything he does. While I love his confidence, I want to make sure that he remains grounded in reality. I really don't want to call him out and break him down either what advice could you give to someone that has such a high view of themselves thanks chris so That's we got this we got this in a direct message on twitter and yeah this morning um i was putting it into the notes and i i, I just noticed like i missed a line oh, okay <laughs> i missed a lot like, oh, okay missed, put the rest um, out yeah what else did he say um i don't remember but it was basketball so oh yeah yeah i remember he was talking about team. basketball right. games yeah so Yeah, so, you know, it's a really good question, and I think that this is a good point, right? So, like, delusions can work both ways. (laughs) Like, a delusion is, and again, I use that word uh, in a a clinical sense, but obviously we're not going to diagnose this kid as delusional, okay? Right. But everything's on a continuum, so here's the deal. A delusion is whenever you have a false interpretation of reality. You're not seeing things that aren't there. You're not hearing things that aren't there. 
you're just falsely understanding your reality, and you could falsely locate yourself in that reality. This is the world Jim lives in. This is my my happy time life <laughs> that I live in, in which everything's going to work out. So uh, in this case, you have your kid, and they're they're wicked confident, and you're like, hey, it's cute, like I like it. But I worry that they're somehow disconnecting from their reality, and I don't want them to reach a place where one day the world like crashes in and destroys them, or that they falsely believe they can do something that they can. And I, I get that that's a tightrope, right? Because I agree with the writer. I don't want to see you pull your kid aside and say, "Hey, you realize you're really terrible, right?" Or like, "You realize you're average, right?" Like, I can see where you know we have to be thoughtful about that. I think a lot of parents they want to build up their kids. And they do it, and, and sometimes we do such a good job of it, and life hasn't come crashing in on them yet that we can reach this place of, like, tension where we're like, should I, like, dial it back? <laughs> you know, should I let them know that, you know, they're, they do have to work for this mm-hmm. or whatever? And I don't know, Nick. I mean, I feel like you've heard me say this before. There is no shortage of sadness in the world. There's no shortage of people that are cruel. There's no shortage of, you know, people that want to come in and, and, and tear the wings off of bugs. And I just feel like life will eventually chasten this person, chasten this kid. It will teach him he's not that good. There will be a coach that says, no, I'm not picking you, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. or something. Um, I don't feel like the parent needs to come in and belittle them or hurt them. And I see Chris reluctantly saying, I'm not going to do that, you know. And, and so I want to echo that and say, Chris, good good idea, right? Mm-hmm. Don't come in and hurt a kid. That's never the way that you you, you build a child. Um, but I do think it's okay to ask questions, you know, like, oh, what is this other person on the team doing? They seem to be getting a lot of points. Yeah, you know, he gets points, you know, no, no, no. Okay, you know, how how are you going to improve? Right, asking questions about improvement, and if they have that confidence, and they're like, "No, I don't need to improve. I'm awesome." Okay, you know, then you're going to have to start talking about like realism a little bit and saying, "Okay, but you know, we should always try to be better, you know, than the last version of ourselves. What can we do?" Um, but that's a tricky one, right? It's it's a good problem to have, I guess, Nick, because you know this kid's not in a place of depression or sadness. But at the same time, we can see where an abundance of confidence, an abundance of this, can become not very accurate, and so we want to make sure we address that too. What are your thoughts? Two things. Um, first off, uh, I, I don't want to get you to, um, I don't, don't want to alarm you, Chris, but one thing, my, my very first thought listening to this is I wonder what insecurities he has in other areas of his life, because that's one thing that I've seen happen a lot Mm -hmm. with with kids that believe themselves to be so good at something that mm-hmm. you're just kind of like, what are you talking about? Are you not, mm-hmm. are you watching a different game than what I'm watching? Yes. When, when it gets to that point, it, it seems like it's pretty common that with that particular child, there's some other area of their life that yes. they feel very less than, yep. very insecure about. Yep. And then therefore this sport playing basketball is their way of equaling or leveling the playing field. So yes. that it's like, I have to be outstanding at this yes. to make up for this other thing. And if I'm not actually outstanding at it, well, then if I can just project that I am mm. and just act like I am or just believe that I am, it kind of helps make up for something else. So that would be something to just kind of look for. Um mm. You know, look at how he's doing in school and look at other areas of his life. Is he making friends? Is he... You know, any, anything else that we can possibly help him out with in those areas. I think by doing that, you may see a change in, in what's happening in yeah. basketball. I'm glad you brought that up. Mm-hmm. That's a really good observation. And then I think the other thing, too, if uh, as a way you may be able to help facilitate and kind of change the way that he talks about basketball mm-hmm. is maybe uh, start praising him for team player type 
behaviors. Yeah. You know, yeah. really talking about, you know, hey, that, that pass that you got, you know, that, right. that you, you know, that you gave to this other kid to score. That yeah. was great. Way to read I, the chord and right. work as a team. Exactly. That's a I, really good I, idea. You know, and kind of praise this uh, selflessness. You know, I, I think it's great how you, you know, how you work hard for your teammates and, and really kind of praise that component of it as opposed to, um, you know, because it sounds like he's really focused on the things that he does really well for him. I think if you kind of reinforce that team player mentality, that may be helpful as well. No, I love that. And, you know, I, I definitely want to echo what you said, because in all of my work with children, if I have ever found um, anybody who has this like disproportionate amount of confidence or they seem to have to always one up a story, like they seem to always mm-hmm. have to add more to it. You know, Johnny says, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, my dad's going to take me to Disneyland. Oh, we went to Disney World and Epcot Center. And, and like and if they're embellishing and adding things, and even if they're fictitiously adding things, um, I think that's such an obvious indicator light. Like almost 100 percent of the kids I work with that if they if they have that trait. It's because there is some kind of insecurity inside mm-hmm. of them. There's a fear that everybody thinks they're less than or there's a fear that they'll be revealed or they, they don't actually believe good things about themselves. Yeah, we've all we've all had kids like that in the neighborhood that we grew up in, yes. you know, right, where, where they just believe themselves to be great, you know, and it's not until much later on in life that you realize that. Well, it was, you know, there's a lot of fighting in the home. Mom and dad were constantly at each other. Or there was always threats of divorce and all this stuff going on. That we never really saw, yes. but definitely played a role in how they project themselves in other situations. Yeah, no, I agree. So, you know, Chris, go for reality. And and so when we go for reality, we have conversations with this person in which we say, hey, is there something in life that you, you're worried about? Is there something that you don't, you know, that you want to grow in or that you don't feel like you're doing a very good job at? And getting them to reveal those things in honest conversation by creating a really safe place and not being critical and not to rescue them. And that's something I think a lot of parents have to challenge themselves on is when our kids having a bad thought or feeling discouraged, we tend to want to rescue them from it immediately. And sometimes I just want you to offer silence or just nod with them and go, yeah, no, I I can see how you'd feel that way sometimes. That must be tough. Mm -hmm. And leave it right there. Don't rescue them from bad. And I think that's important because when we over-rescue kids, they develop this mentality where they always have to spin the positive and they they run to it too quickly. And that can cause this kind of thing where the person's like hyper-confident, delusional about everything. I don't want that. I want them to kind of, uh, from time to time, have to simmer in a disappointing moment or a discouraging moment without us coming alongside and saying, yeah, you are a piece of crap, <laughs> but like coming in there and saying, well, that must be really hard and just mm-hmm. kind of own it there. But no, Chris, I think your, your instincts are right here. I'm glad you're not desiring to do any kind of deflating or kind of hurtfulness. Um, but I appreciate that you're willing to step into reality as well. Yep. Very good. Very Thank you good. for writing in. That was a good question. That was a good one. Okay. We've come to the last part of our show, which is apologies, patrons, reviews, and announcements. And I don't think we have any of those except for Patreons. Right? I have some apologies. Oh, I, I do. I don't have them scripted, but uh, I'm going through my Twitter feed right now and <laughs> just finding all the things that I need to apologize for. So eh, let's I, start with your mom. Yeah. Uh, dear mom, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for the first 48 episodes of the show. <laughs> I'd like to apologize for almost everything on our Patreon. <laughs> you did not raise me this way. <laughs> it is not a reflection on your parenting, and I'm sorry. <laughs> and we could just blame Dad. <laughs> exactly. Uh, dear, uh, oh gosh, dear the San Francisco baseball team, the Giants, um, I'm sorry that whenever I found out that you were uh, – 
being boycotted by the NAACP uh, for giving money to a political candidate who had done and said really racist things. I'm sorry that my big takeaway from that was, holy crap, the San Francisco Giants still exist. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm sorry. I, I think I missed the point <laughs> of that whole story. Didn't they win a World Series recently? Nobody cares, like... Nick. Nobody even watches baseball around here except you. Uh, and I also want to apologize to World War II um, for trying really hard <laughs> to make a joke that WWII was somehow related to WWJD. And uh, my bad, World War II. <laughs> Don't take it personally. I'd like to apologize to uh, wrestler John Cena. Uh, when I found out that he was winning Sports Illustrated's Muhammad Ali Legacy Award for being a stand-up character in a sports world, that I was furious that he's a fake wrestler and not a real athlete, and I nominated Bill Murray for his excellent sportsmanship in the movie Space Jam. So, my bad, John Cena. <laughs> and I want to say that uh, that's just about it. Yeah, I don't have a ton more apologies than that. Um, stay tuned. Oh, and I apologize to uh, running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, Kareem Hunt, who was recently fired from the Chiefs and is uh, going to be suspended from the NFL for a video that came out of him uh, physically abusing a woman, uh, probably his girlfriend. Um, I apologize to the Patriots for implying that they've already signed him for exactly those things. So, my bad. My bad, Patriots. <laughs> All right, and we want to thank our uh, new Therapals yeah. on Patreon. Uh, Patreon. Uh, do you have those, Jim? Okay, well, thank you uh, to all of you. Yeah, thanks <laughs> Thanks to all the new Therapals. <laughs> I don't think we have any new I think ones. it was just your mom. I think it? it was my mom. So, oh yeah, so uh, welcome to our newest, and she's a therapod actually. So uh, this is our first episode of the month for December, and so this is when we actually thank all of our therapods, oh. all of our dapper three-toed reptilians, uh, the special forces unit of our Mental Health Therapeutic Alliance. We want to thank David Pollock, Easy Whip, Steve, Scoopstronaut, Dan Martin, Nathan's Hot Dog Scoop, Mandy Abayla, John Bankenship, John B., his Twitter feed is amazing, Linda Brandmeyer, Leon Kassab, Lori Kallenbach-Eltsroth, Tracy Replogel, a.k.a. Mom, <laughs> David Younts, Corey Owens, Peter Van Pelt, Brad Kefauver, Manuela Musaku, Scoopaholic, and Makia, who added five cents to her pledge, making her the alpha female of the Therapods. <laughs> and of course, we want to thank our bosses, the Elite Eight, Mysterious, and Shrouded Illuminati members of our fan club, the Thera Producers. Thank you, Smitty Scoop, Jake Schneider, Robert Brownie Jr. Mint, Kayla Lansbury, David Data Scoop, Villalon, Judy Schneider, Gray Whitaker. Uh, majority shareholder, and Dr. Ben Don. Yep, and I actually want to go back to the Therapods because I think we left out Ice Blue Scoop, and uh, that's because her Therapod level actually reached $10. <laughs> oh, yeah. right. Yeah, Ice Blue Scoop is technically the alpha female of the Therapods because she's like in the nether region between Therapod and Theraproducer. <laughs> How <laughs> so did she, we forget her? She fell off the first list. So we're she's sorry. Technically, yeah, we're terrible at Patreoning, but she's yeah. the alpha. So, And if you would like to hear this episode uncut, unedited, and enjoy all the many things that we do on our Patreon, like our weekly book club or our discussion groups. We also have another podcast we do there called Afterthoughts, uh, which is sort of a female uh, take on a lot of what we talk about. And soon I'm going to be launching a new thing in January. I have a note, too. I am supposed to um, 
make a public apology for uh. Uh, implying that Afterthoughts is uh, about um, Laura airing her grievances with the show. Because <laughs> it's not. And she corrects me on that all the time. She says it's feedback. It's not all bad. It's not It's not bad. It's just feedback. So uh, we definitely want to thank everybody that supports us and invite everybody listening to join uh, that work. And, uh, yeah, so we have um, a little bit going on. We have our book club that's coming up. We're going to be adding new episodes of that. Every week we throw in a new book club chapter, so look for that. And then uh, in January, Nick, I'm going to launch uh, my own little side project to bring to the thing. We've been having a really robust conversation with our patrons and with Twitter and Facebook, asking people, you know, what kind of thing could I bring that might be helpful, kind of like what you're doing with Afterthoughts, adding some more content. And uh, I'll be rolling out that announcement here in the, in the near future. So look for that. It's going to be exciting, too. Excellent. Thank you. That's all the time that we've got for this week's session. We want to thank our landlords, the Ice Cream Social Podcast, and thank you to those who contributed to our show today. We really appreciate it. Remember, pod therapy isn't something you should keep all to yourself. Help us reach others by sharing this episode, copying, pasting the link in the description. Don't forget, you can find us at facebook.com slash podtherapy, on Twitter at podtherapyguys, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash therapy. Do you want to add your own advice to today's questions? Post your thoughts at podtherapy.net and join the conversation. I'm Nick Tangeman. I'm Justin Biebs. Thanks, and we'll see you for your appointment next week, Jim's mom. (laughs) Your mom goes to therapy. (laughs) I want to point out that Jim ended that show by announcing that he would later be making an announcement. Yes. (laughs) 